0: Hey, good morning Victory Church, how you doing? Good morning, good morning. My name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege to pastors' church. And if you are visiting with us, as Anobia said, uh, we'd love to connect with you. You can do that by filling out that card that's in front of you. Or you can do it online through our app, different ways. But we got a gift for you. And again, we just want to be able to connect. We just want to be able to reach out to you and try to help you find where you belong here at Victory and where you can be a part of it and how you can use your gifts and talents to be able to serve God. Also, if you're visiting and you've heard some of these announcements, whether it's the men's breakfast, the women's event, and you say, man, I'm interested, but I don't know anything about Discord, and I don't know who Brett Town is and all these things. Right outside in the lobby, there's a QR code that you can go and scan. It'll take you to our website, and you can find registration for all of our events, uh, small groups, growth track, everything that you could possibly need right there on our website. And so we want to encourage you to do that. Um, I always like to take a moment before we get into the Word and just say thank you to every person that is supporting Victory, that's giving faithfully through tithes and offerings every month. I always like to kind of let you see what we're doing outside of the walls because every Sunday you come in and you experience what God's doing right here in the walls. Uh, It's been pretty impressive to see just since we've been here a little over a year now. We're gearing up for the biggest Easter I think we've experienced yet. Uh, but I was in a couple of different meetings this week. One of them was with a young lady that represents Youth for Christ. And it was so cool. Zoe and I were meeting with her, and it was just uh, through the conversation of how can victory get involved because we're trying to be involved in so many areas. And Youth for Christ is inside some of the Antioch schools uh, doing ministry with the teenagers. And one of the things, uh, her name is Lauren. One of the things Lauren talked about that was very interesting to me was uh, young moms, young ladies that are in high school that have uh, gotten pregnant and and had kids and trying to survive life in that season and how we can come along. And there's different events coming up. And I just want to let you know that we're starting that partnership with Youth for Christ last year. We provided snacks for all of their after-service events, and so they would get together, or not after-service, after-school events, so they'd get together and love on the students and share Christ, and we provided snacks for that. And now we're talking about what are, what are more ways that we can get involved, talking about maybe having an event here on campus for those young ladies where they can come in and have their kids watch for a couple hours and hang out and have a good time. And so uh, it's just cool, as I always like to say, to be able to be in these meetings throughout the week and say with 100% confidence, Victory wants to be involved. Victory wants to be involved with it because I know of the faithfulness of those that call Victory Church home. So thank you. Thank you for those of you that give. If you haven't started giving and you want to, you can do that again on our website as well. As you leave today, do me a favor. Grab some of those invites, those flyers for Easter. You heard me say real quick that I think it will be the largest Easter we've experienced. We've had some pretty great Easter's throughout our four or five years of being a church. But I just feel like there's in this year, there's a lot of coming back to church And I think there are a lot of people who are looking for hope, and so I think it's going to be a great opportunity. We'll do that egg hunt on Saturday for our community, and then come in here for two services, 9 and 1030, on that Sunday. So grab some of those flowers on your way out, hand them out to co-workers, and invite them to church. Amen? Amen. All right, you ready for the word? All right, if you got your Bibles, turn to the book of Mark, chapter 5. Book of Mark, it's in the New Testament. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Go ahead and turn to chapter 5. As you're turning there, you can do it in your paper Bible. You can do it online. You can do it on our app where there are sermon notes. uh, And, of course, you can just follow along with me on the screen behind me. As you are getting there, I want to give you a little context of the series we're in. We started last week called This Is Also True. And this series is wrapped around the idea that in the moment where Jesus was being tempted by Satan, and, and Satan started to bring at Jesus Scripture. And so he was using Scripture to tempt Jesus. And Jesus said back to him, Uh, It is also written, and I mentioned last week that it was kind of like Satan saying something true, and then Jesus saying, that's true, but this is truer. And so last week, we talked about how as believers, we can have both faith and doubt, and that process of how we walk that out. And if you remember, we talked about walking out, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And I actually got into Mark chapter 5, because I told you last week that I was going to preach on the fact that we could have a past, but also have a future. And and I'm still going to preach on it at some point in this series. The series ends on Easter. But I got going on a thought, and I I found myself in in this story that we're going to read together. And then I couldn't stop this thought, and I ended up writing this sermon for you today. And so uh, I think it's going to be kind of a a good trajectory of where we're going and how we can not only be ministered to by God, but how we can help us minister to people in our lives. So Mark chapter 5, verses 24 through 34, and it starts off like this. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd, and he asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? Disciples are saying, there's this massive crowd, and you actually believe that we can figure out who touched you? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then this woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. I want to talk to you this morning from the idea, I'm not okay and that's okay. I'm not okay and that's okay. There is a statistic company called Barna Research. And they specialize a lot in Christian statistics. And so a lot of times if you're wanting to find out how many people in your area read their Bible or how many people pray or how many people attend church and all these different things, Barna will often have those numbers for you. And they recently made a visit to Nashville and they did a whole seminar where they invited pastors to come in and they gave all of these statistics specifically for nashville churches and so they brought pastors in and said this is what people are wanting from the church this is how people are feeling about the church here's how many people attend church here's how here's what people think about christians it was all of these statistics and one statistic specifically that they did one research they did was what is the number one thing that people in general think the church should be addressing So when it comes to people who are both Christians and non-Christians, what's the number one thing, number one worldly issue, not not theology and not grace and not Jesus, but what's the number one worldly issue that the people that you go to work with, that the people that you do life with, that the people like you think the church should be addressing? And after the research, 41% said that the number one thing that they think the church should be addressing is mental health. And it's interesting because if you have been alive for any amount of time recently, especially as a result of 2020, you know that this concept of mental health, it's not new, but the understanding of it, the, uh, the, the revelation of it, as well as the continual education of it is growing. But I also want you to understand this, mental illness is growing even amongst people of faith. That's important for us to understand. It's not just, you know, if we're not careful, we can kind of get in this mindset of, it's like, oh, those people don't know Jesus. And so since they don't know Jesus, they are experiencing mental illness. But statistics would tell us that mental illness is not only growing in people who don't believe in Jesus, but it's also growing in people who believe in Jesus. Now, when most people talk about mental health, the the normal uh, attribute, I guess you would say, that kind of becomes the catch-all for mental health is depression. You've uh, we've, we've heard people talk about anxiety and different things, but depression tends to be the number one thing. And when it comes to depression, listen to this, it is becoming the, num- the world's number one health problem. Wow. Research says it's, it's surpassed cancer. That's, that's crazy to me. They say that one out of every nine people are being treated for depression right now. So for every nine, per- nine people that we can count, one out of every nine people are being treated for depression, and watch this, in the past decade, antidepressants have gone up 300%. Isn't that wild? Mental health is growing, and it's not just growing with lost people, it's growing right amongst believers. This, this means that you and I can be experiencing the darkness of depression while being in the light of God's grace. And here's why. Because even though we have the hope of heaven, every one of us have the hope of heaven, the hope of eternity through Jesus Christ, the fact that he died for our sins, but even though we have the hope of heaven, the pain on earth is weighing heavily on everyone. And so I started thinking about this, and I started going through the Bible and thinking through different characters, and I thought about David And if you want to really see mental illness in somebody who is a believer, follow the Psalms and follow David, right? Because one minute he's on a high, and the next minute he's on a low. One minute it's, God, you are my strong tower, and the next minute he's like, God, why have you left me? Like, it's just a constant up and down with David. Elijah experienced the greatest, probably to me, one of the greatest miracles in the Old Testament, when he was trying to prove to some uh, people who had false gods that God was real, and so they all brought offerings, and the whole plan was: you call on your god, and I'll call on my god, and whichever god comes first to burn the offerings, that will be the true god. And none of their none of their gods showed up. And then he kept pouring water on the offering just to prove that God is not only real, but He is God. And God set that offering on fire. It was one of the greatest miracles, and right. After that miracle, you see Elijah sitting under a tree asking that he would die. Isn't that interesting? I think about Peter. Peter being this confident, arrogant believer of Jesus Christ so much that he would even tell Jesus, you're not dying, (laughs) you know, not, not if I have anything to say about it. And then you fast forward, and of course, he denies Christ three times. And Jesus told him in advance, he said, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And if you know the story, Peter denies Christ three times, then he hears the rooster crow. And could you imagine the mental moment there? And the Bible says that Peter ran off by himself to go fishing. He returned to where he was before he ever experienced Christ. And so I think as we go throughout the Bible, I think we can pick out people left and right and find moments where there is a, a sign Of mental illness. I think it's available in the scriptures, and I think it's also connected to people who believed in God. I I don't think that by believing in God, you are exempt from uh, the experience of mental illness. Now, understand this. Mental illness is a multidimensional problem, and so therefore it has multidimensional solutions. So I feel like I need to give you this disclaimer. I am not a doctor, okay? In case any of you are surprised by that, I'm not a doctor, and I am not equipped to talk through the physical aspects of depression, nor am I equipped to talk through the medical solutions, okay? So, um, you know, again, I I don't have the degrees for that. I believe that there are certainly areas of depression that need medical help and different things, but that's not what I'm here to talk about. What I feel equipped to talk about is the spiritual solutions. I believe that there's both. I believe that for some people uh, it's just medical, for some it's just spiritual, for some it's both. And so while it's not my job to talk to you about the medical solutions, I do believe I'm equipped to talk to you about the spiritual solutions. And that's what I want to give you today is just a couple of thoughts that will move us forward. I do believe that I want to preach a series uh, not on mental illness after Easter, on prayer. And I think that the more we talk about prayer, the more we'll start to move into some of these solutions But I do want to speak towards this today, something that I felt the Spirit of God show me. And here's why. Because while it is okay to not be okay, let's not settle for a lifetime of not okay. Right? It's totally okay for you to not be okay. But let's not settle for a lifetime of not being okay. Let's let the light of the world meet us in our darkness. So here's the question I want to answer today for you if I can. What do we do about invisible suffering? I believe mental health can be invisible suffering. So what do we do about invisible suffering? Let's go back to Mark chapter 5 for a minute. And when you read that story, you may be like, hey, I don't really see a mental connection to Mark chapter 5. It's clear that she has a physical problem. There's never a a mentioning in the scripture about a mental problem. So we're trying figure out how did you make that connection well let me give you a couple ways i made that connection as i'm reading it the first thing i realized was her suffering is internal it's an internal suffering she's internally bleeding she's not bleeding on the outside she's bleeding on the inside and i think we would all agree that mental illness is an internal issue along with mental, along with the fact that she's experiencing an internal issue watch this she's been dealing with it for 12 years could you imagine suffering with something for 12 years 365 days times 12. I'm not doing the math right now on the spot. But it's a lot. Waking up every day experiencing this pain and the suffering, wanting to be healed from it. The Bible says she had gone to all of the doctors. So every person, watch this, who is legally trained, who, is, who has the education to help her, is saying, we don't know what's wrong with you. We can't help you. And then I thought it was interesting that the Bible said this. Not only did she not get better, but she got what? Worse So if there was ever a moment for mental illness to come on, for you to go to the person who's supposed to help you and not only get, be- not only not get better, but to get worse, And now there's a stigma on her, and now she's ostracized, and they've labeled her unclean." And now when she comes into rooms, she has to announce herself, she has to come in going, "Hey, just so everybody knows, I have an illness." And because of this illness, I now have a reputation. And because of this reputation, I now have a stigma. And so you should distance yourself from me. It was such a reputation. Watch this. She lost her name. When you find it in scripture, it's referred to her as the woman with the issue of blood. Now, we all agree at some point she had a name. I don't know what her name could have been. It might have been, you know, the first thing that popped in my head, biblical name, was Rebecca. Maybe, Maybe her name was Rebecca. But after suffering from this issue for so long, it slowly became who she was. So when she was entering rooms, she wasn't entering rooms as Rebecca. She was entering rooms as the woman with the issue of blood. So much that she's not entering the room with who she is, but she's entering the room with what she's suffering from. And the more I started to study these things, the more I started to see the dots connecting in the concept of mental illness. Because I think that can happen in our culture today. We're now, in the suffering from that, now it's kind of become who you are. Right? Well, what's wrong with you? I'm depressed. And and it becomes who we are. It becomes our identity. Mental illness is real. It's real. The cause is harder to pinpoint. The symptoms are harder to treat. But since mental health is an internal issue, watch this, it often leads to an invisible suffering. Could you imagine if there was somebody sitting in here with you today who was suffering from this, an invisible suffering, you wouldn't even know. There could be people literally suffering, impacting their every move, and you wouldn't even know. I started thinking about this this week. I was like, invisible suffering, what what a concept, the idea, because if, if if we're suffering from certain things, you know, you know what I mean? Like if I'm suffering from back pain, you're probably going to know by the way I walk. If I'm suffering from a cut, right? You know, if I've got a bloody nose, well, you're, you're going to know. But to have invisible suffering, to be suffering from something that's impacting your every move and people not, not might not know. And I started thinking, I was like, God, give me an example of this. What's an example of this? And I was trying to go a little bit lighthearted because it's a heavy message. I said, give me examples. And all of a sudden, the Lord reminded me of the very... First time, I worked out my legs. (laughs) Now, some of you all are like, was that the only time? Did you just stop after that? That's why I wear really tight pants, so it looks like the legs are bigger. You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, But I started working out with my brother-in-law. And my brother-in-law, you know, he's yoked. And so we work out together. And I had never really worked out before. So he's teaching me how to work out. Because if you've never worked out before and you go work out by yourself, you work out to your comfort level. Right? It's like, oh, man, this is heavy. I should put this down. You know, it's like, I just enjoy. as long as I can walk and run with it, I can lift it. But when I got to work out with him, he was pushing me. But in the middle of it, I had never been pushed doing legs, so I didn't think anything about it. And I'm going at it. I'm working hard. Got up a little bit. He's like, do you feel it? I'm like, a little bit, but I'm a man, you know, so get over it. The next day, though, when you try to go to the bathroom, you're like reaching, you know, as you like slowly go down. And like you look like a baby giraffe as you're walking into the room. A couple Sundays ago, y'all don't even, this is how anointed I am. You didn't even know it. But a couple Sundays ago, I had worked out legs on Saturday morning, and then we had played pickleball for a couple of hours, and walking up them three little steps, <laughs> I had to have the spirit of Jesus to get me up those steps. It, it was insane. And so sometimes you, you can just be suffering, and it may not be, people may not even know, but they're suffering. I was reading a book about mental health and depression And they had interviewed some people, and they gave some explanations as to what depression feels like. I thought this was interesting. One person said, it's a sinking sensation. I thought that was interesting. Another person said, it's like you've lost something, but you don't know when or where you lost it. It's like, wow. Another person said it was like quicksand, which I think goes along with that sinking sensation. One person said, it's, it's being alone and wanting to be around people, but being too exhausted to initiate the relationship. Isn't that crazy? One person said, it's forgetting who you are because you've been trying so hard for so long to be somebody that you're not. This is invisible suffering. Everything I just said to you would be invisible suffering. But if we're not careful, if we don't understand it, if there isn't a grace and a love and a mercy for it, then we'll just say things like, Can't you just get over it? Like, like what, what was it take? Watch, watch, what would it take to make you happy? And I felt the Lord tell me this week mental health doesn't mean just happy. Mental health doesn't mean happiness. Listen, I've been happy many times in my life and not been healthy. Right? I'm going to tell you, can I tell you what makes me the happiest? I think, I think the most enjoyable thing on this planet is canceled plans. <laughs> Y'all ever had that? Like you, let, like, you got plans Saturday, 4 o'clock, you got to go to this thing, and they text you, and they're like, hey, sorry, it's not going to happen. Like, all of a sudden, it's like all the joy in the world has come over you. You know, and you, you send out that, oh, no problem. You know, I was prepared to come, but no problem. You go, and as soon as you get out the phone, you're like, Yes! Like, I get to do what? Nothing, right? As an adult, it's literally the best thing ever. It's utopia to do nothing. Your kids are like, what are we going to do today? And you're like, nothing. By the grace of God, nothing. Well, that doesn't sound fun because you're young and you haven't experienced life. And when you experience life, you will wake up on Saturday morning and somebody will go, we have no plans. We have no friends. We have nothing to do. And you go, praise the Lord (laughs) Jesus. Let's do it again. Hallelujah. Right? It's the best plan. It's happiness. But it would be unhealthy if I canceled every plan. Right? Like y'all show up one Sunday and you're ready for part three of This Is Also True. And the worship team gets done singing. and Zoe does announcements. Video comes on and nobody's here. Like, well, where's Troy? Well, he canceled today's plans. Well, that doesn't sound right. Well, he's happy. Yeah, that's what you need to worry about. He's not healthy, but he's happy. I think when I'm the happiest is when I have enough bread to be able to consume into my body that is more than any other food I have on my plate. We went out to eat recently to a restaurant and they had like free rolls, and I, I I didn't do a count because I didn't want to be embarrassed, but I, I stopped counting at about 12 rolls before the meal came. And you got to have rolls with your meal. You know what I mean? You can't, it's like unbiblical to eat your food and not have rolls. Like I, it, rolls make me happy. Does anybody else in here happy because of rolls? And I'm not talking about rolls. I'm talking about rolls. Okay, rolls lead to rolls, but let will talk about that different. Like it makes me happy, but but it's not healthy. And I think we have to understand that A lot of times just being happy doesn't mean you're healthy. We have to be careful to tell somebody, well, you just need to find a way to be happy. Because someone who has a sinking sensation, they don't even know how to find happy. Remember what they said, we've lost it, but we don't know when or where we lost it. We've been conditioned to believe that if we have our lives together, then we won't experience depression. Right? Especially, watch this, especially... If we're followers of Jesus, who live by faith and obey God's word. We've been taught that if we are that kind of individual, then we shouldn't have mental illness. But isn't it possible to have all of those things? Isn't it possible to live by faith and follow Jesus Christ, to obey the word of God, and still experience moments in life that bring depression? We talked a little bit about this last week. If we're following a God that's going to do things outside of our understanding, then there's going to be moments where we obey God and we follow God, but we don't understand God. And if we're not careful, that can lead us into anxiety, into depression. Why would the big book of Philippians say, do not be anxious about anything if, as believers, we weren't supposed to be anxious? Why would God teach us how to focus on the health of our mind if he never expected us to have the lack of health of our mind to begin with? Unfortunately, sometimes what happens is the church can encourage people to keep hiding. Keep it to yourself. Why? Because they meet it with shame instead of grace. Instead of the help that we need to come out of the darkness and into the light, we come into an environment, and if it's not careful in in any kind of religious environment, if we don't fully understand what we're talking about, we can meet that illness with shame. And that person will not only retreat back into the darkness, but watch what they'll say, I'll never go there again. So you've got the very place where they could find healing, but they won't go because when they arrived, they were taught there was some kind of outcast or or some kind of stigma put onto what they were experiencing. Is it interesting to you that the woman felt like she had to sneak to Jesus? That's interesting to me. That the father of the son or the father of the daughter who was dying, that Jesus was going to He had no problem coming out in public and saying, hey, my daughter's dying, but this woman felt like she needed to sneak to Jesus. When you study this woman's situation, listen to this, y'all, she wasn't even allowed in the church. She wasn't allowed in the synagogue because of her illness. Because of her sickness, she was labeled, and because of her label, she wasn't even allowed into the synagogue. That is so upside down to me. It seems like of all the places, she should be allowed nowhere but the church, right? Like if any place she should be allowed, it's the church. Listen to me. I felt the Lord tell me this week, it's not a sin to be sick. It's not a sin to be sick. Just like, look, if, if all of a sudden, right now, somebody got up and left, and we, and we found out after church what happened to them. Oh, they weren't feeling good. Their stomach was hurting. They went home. We would not be like, well, that demon you know, what's wrong with them? Let's not obey the word of God. No, they're sick. Things happen. It's not a sin to be sick. But for some reason, it's easier to believe that we're not measuring up in some way than to accept the fact that life is often unpredictable and full of painful twists and turns. Right? It's easier for us to just assume there's something wrong with us than to assume that maybe because of something that's happened in life, we've just become sick. And that the Spirit of God and the Word of God and the presence of God can heal us. I remember, uh, it's definitely, I think it's the first time, it's definitely the last time that I really experienced what I would consider depression. I've told this story in different ways throughout the years of our church, but Um, I, I got, I got a physical sickness. It was through a kidney stone and it was, it was, we weren't really sure what was going on with it. It it lingered. I had multiple surgeries and different things happening. And for months I was in this situation where I had, um, a a stent inside of me for months. And because of the stent, because of the pain, they had given me some medication for the day, but I wanted to be careful on how much of that I took. So when I got home from work, I wouldn't take any more medication. So I was kind of like a zombie at work all day. I would just kind of just, you know, numb enough to actually work. And then when I I would get home, I would walk into my house. Uh, Veda was probably four or five years old, and Casey Ray was brand new baby, brand newborn baby. And I would walk into my house where here's my wife, Juggling a five-year-old and a brand new baby and on the couch she would have a heating pad and I would walk right into the house and sit down on the heating pad just so that it would kind of numb the pain a little bit. I would just stare in the TV like a zombie and about seven o'clock I'd get up and go to bed because I just what was the point of being awake? So I would go lay in my bed, all right, 7, 7.30 at night, all the lights off, TV's off. I could hear in the living room as my wife is trying to single parent our home. I could hear her getting talking to Veda. I could hear her dealing with the crying baby. And I'm laying, as a man who wants to be a protector and a provider, I'm just laying in this bed feeling like a failure, an absolute failure. I would fall asleep, 7.30. I would sleep for a couple hours. I'd get up by the time everybody else was asleep, and I would go to our living room, sit in the recliner, and watch Boy Meets World for hours. So that was... A ministry. And I can't tell you how many times, a lot of times in the bathroom, I prayed and said this to God. I believe that if you wanted to, you could heal me like this. But for some reason, you're not. And I would wrestle with that and wrestle with that. And I know I've been honest, and I've told people this before. I, I don't think I would ever take my life. But in that season, I understood people who find themselves in that place. Because when you feel like there's absolutely no hope of ever being able to find, because here was the kicker, the thing I didn't tell you. I didn't have a doctor at the time. So they assigned me to a doctor that was given to us from the emergency room. And he was terrible. Not only was he a terrible doctor, he had terrible bedside manner. And so he would come in and say things to me like, well, I don't know what's wrong with you. I don't know if we're ever going to figure it out. And I was sitting in the room with the only person who I believed could fix me. And they're telling me, Eh, I don't know what's wrong with you. And watch this. I would leave not physically healed, but now mentally hurting more than I came. So not only was I not better, I was what? Worse. So when I read this story, I couldn't help but think about this lady going to people who she thought, you're the only person that can fix me. And they're like, I don't know what's wrong with you. You may never get fixed. And not only is she walking out still physically hurt, but now her mind is being attacked. And now not only is she not better, she's worse. So this continues on, y'all, for months. I I, I couldn't eat. I lost about 30 pounds of weight. It was was crazy. And I remember we're at my in-law's house one time, and and my my wife's grandmother is talking to us. And she had that same kind of doctor that, that focuses on kidneys and things. And she said, you should try my doctor. And we said, okay. So we got the card. And I remember the first time we set up um, uh, an appointment with them, and we walked in, and I was sitting in the chair, zero hope, y'all, zero hope, this is just, I'm just going through the motions, because why not, and the doctor sits on one of those little rolly chairs, it's like a little circle black, and he slides over to me, rolls over to me, and he looks me in the eyeballs, and here's what he says, he says, I don't know what's wrong with you, but we're going to figure it out. And I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I couldn't control it. Tears just started coming down because all of a sudden, for one second, I had just a little bit of hope. It wasn't because this guy knew anymore. It's because he cared. Like he was committed to find it out. And there was no guarantee that I was ever going to be healed. But the very fact that someone said, we're going to move forward. Here's why I'm telling you this. If you think there's no hope for you, If you've been dealing with mental health and you think there's no hope for you or you think that you are past the point of no return, it's a lie. It's a lie. God can heal and transform you. He can. He says it in his word. And he's the same what? Yesterday, today, and forever. But we have to let our powerlessness meet the God of all power. We have to let this feeling of a future that's in question meet the God who controls all of the answers, including the future. And we have to let our fearful hiding place become a meeting place with God. So listen to me real quick. I, I, I never expected to get up here and in 45 minutes give you the solution to mental health. I'm not that silly. I'm not that naive. I understood that what we're talking about is something that is not only not necessarily being cured, that easily, but it's continuing to grow. What what I did see in Mark chapter 5 are a couple of practical steps that I think you and I can take biblically to move us into the direction of a solution, okay? So I say it again. I'm not about to give you some three-part step that's going to heal it, but I do think it's moving us in the right direction, and I think we see it in the Bible. So here's what I'm going to show you where it is in Mark chapter 5, all three things. Number one is this. We need to talk about it. If you're experiencing mental illness, you need to talk about it. Watch this. Mark chapter 5, this woman sneaks in. She touches his Jesus garment, and the Bible says she's healed, right? So she could touch him. The healing has happened. The Bible says she felt it in her body, and she could move on. But Jesus stops and says what? Who touched me? Who touched me? Jesus knew the power had left his body. He knows her situation. He could have just let her go with healing, right? But he says, time out. Somebody touched me. Who touched me? I love this because do we really believe Jesus didn't know? There had to be kind of the same irony when God's looking for Adam and Eve and he goes, where are you? Right? It's a rhetorical question. I think it's more about you. And so he says, who touched me? And the disciples, I love the disciples. They're like, bro, there's so many people here. It's a mosh pit. Do you really think we know who touched you? And Jesus is like, say something stupid again. I feel like I would have been that disciple. You know what I mean? And then the Bible says she comes to Jesus, watches, says she tells him the whole truth. Part of that might be because she's a woman. So she gives all the details. You know what I mean? Well, when I was 11, (laughs) if it was a guy, he'd be like, I don't feel good. (laughs) Remember the God knot? Yeah. She gives him the whole truth. Because in order for us to overcome depression and mental illness, we have to call it what it is, and we have to deal with it directly. I started asking myself, why don't we do it? A couple thoughts I had. Number one was this. I think we're afraid of what admitting it could actually open the door to. I'll give an example. I don't like to go to the doctor or the dentist. And here's the reason. Because I don't want them to find out something that I'm not currently aware of. You know what I mean? I don't need more problems. I'm dealing with enough problems. I don't need to find out that all of a sudden now my blood pressure is too high and I can't eat bread. Like, don't ruin it for me. Take me to heaven, Jesus. Man, uh, let's go. So, watch this. A couple of Mondays ago, Monday's kind of my day to recharge. I look on my calendar. I have a dentist appointment that my wife has scheduled. I go to my wife. I say, What is this? She says, Don't worry. You're just getting your teeth cleaned. You'll be in. You'll be out in 30 minutes, and we'll go to dinner with the kids. I said, okay. I thought of every way I could to possibly reschedule this or to get out of this. I had done it successfully the month before. I was trying to figure out I can't drive. The car's broken down. They're not there anymore. Like, whatever I could figure out to do it, I get there. I'm going. They're giving i I'm biting on metal plates. Like, what is happening right now? I'm doing X-rays. They bring me in. They set me down. The woman comes in. No lie. Here's what she says. Well, we're not going to clean your teeth today. I said, then why am I here? My wife said, my wife said, she said, well, you got some other stuff we need to deal with. And when it was all said and done, you ready for this? I called Daryl she goes, how'd it go? I said, well, my teeth didn't get cleaned. She said, they didn't. I said, nope. I said, but I have a bill here asking for $16,000 worth of work that needs to be done on my teeth. And she's like, are you serious? I was like, don't ever make a disappointment for me again. Never again. This is why I didn't want to go to begin with. Because if I go, now I got to find out something about me that's got to be fixed, right? Why don't we want to talk about mental health? Because if I start talking about it, then I'm going to have to take steps and move me into direction of healing. And I'd rather just pretend like it's not there. So there's a fear in me that doesn't want to talk about it. Here's the second reason I had. We don't want to talk about it because we've been told it's not as important as other issues. Right? Because it's not external, it's internal. And so when we start getting compared to other people who are suffering from external issues... We start to go, well, it's not as, not as dire as that, so I won't, I, won't, I won't talk about it. Can I tell you how sweet the presence of God is? Jesus was headed to heal a 12-year-old girl who was about to die. And he stopped doing that to touch her. Why is that important to you? Because the Spirit of God would tell you that both issues are of equal importance. This dire, this, this young girl's about, there's nothing worse than a young child about to die. Jesus, don't worry about me. Get to her. Jesus says, I'm big enough for both. I can heal both. I can take care of that big problem that you're being told is big. And I can take care of the big problem that you had that you're being told is small. I can take care of them both. So you got to talk about it. You got to talk about it. Well, what are people going to say? Often talking about stuff is good for the soul, but it's bad for the reputation, Right? That's why you need a place like this where you can talk about it, people who love you where you can talk about it, because God never wastes our pain. Whatever you're going through, God wants to use it to be able to help somebody else. God will heal you and then turn what you went through into a testimony. When we begin to show our frailty, we also reveal God's power to bring hope, to restore hell, to redeem suffering. So you need to talk about it so that you can experience healing, but you also need to talk about it so that God can use it to heal other people. Talk about it. Number two, we need to give our thoughts to God. If I asked you what healed her, you would say when she touched Jesus. But Let me show you something in the scriptures that I, for a while, didn't even really see. It says when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd, and she touched his cloak. Healing, right? But why did she touch his cloak? Because she What? She thought, if I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. She was healed because she touched him, but she touched him because of a thought. So in order for us to be able to step into healing when it comes to our mental health, we got to be able to control these thoughts. Depression comes over us when our mind subtly takes over. When we're not controlling our mind, when we're not making our thoughts submit to Christ, When our mind can just kind of roam and run, that's when depression, you know, they say depression comes majority of the time on the heels of a great moment of a a spiritual or a physical, you know, huge momentum moment. They say normally when that hits down is when depression comes. I found out early in my ministry career that Sunday afternoons was the worst time for my mind. Because we've been, you know, it's been, ah, oh, it's crazy. We're having a great service. I walk out and I hear all these great stories and we go to lunch and we celebrate what God does. And then we get home and it's like, Rrr. and when football season's on, I'm good. Because I just watch Patrick Mahomes beat everybody and I'm good to go. But when there's no football season, all I can do is sit there with my thoughts. Well, when so and so said this, what did that mean? Or when so and so got up, did I say something wrong? Or why wasn't so and so there? I can't believe you know the heat didn't work or the air didn't work. We didn't have running water. We, you know, I just go through all these different thoughts. If I don't take control of my mind, and we're in a culture y'all where everything's on demand, I never thought we'd be at a place where music and TV would be what we chose. Isn't that crazy? You can choose what you want to watch. You can choose what you want to listen to. I had to buy a CD and suffer through 11 terrible songs to get to one. And now for 99 cents, you're listening to that song over and over again. We're in a time where we're controlling everything. Let's be in a time where we control our thoughts. Philippians says, think about these things, things that are good, things that are trustworthy. Oh, let's think about those things. I was talking to a friend who's going through a pretty hard time on the phone a couple of weeks ago. And I was walking him through this concept of some mental health stuff and he was kind of leaning on the negative side and he was saying but what if this and what if that and I'm gonna see this and I'm gonna see that and I talked to y'all about this last week I said well what if you look the other way like what if it does work out what if the healing does happen And here's what he said to me this was so interesting he said do you think I manifested the negative by constantly talking about it and thinking about it and I said I don't I don't no, I don't necessarily know, but I could understand it, that if all you're doing is thinking about the negative, thinking about the negative, it's possible that you put yourself in a place of mental illness, and now you've manifested negativity, but if you could switch those thoughts, she thought, she thought, if I could just touch him, I would be healed, If I could just read his word, if I could just pray. Listen, Troy, how do I control my thoughts? It starts by reading the scriptures. Have a time where you're reading the Bible and edit those thoughts. The next step is by prayer. God, help me with my thoughts. A lot of times my morning prayer time with the Lord is simply that. God, I need you to help. There's a, a lot of craziness happening up here. I need you to help me. A lot of my prayer time is just him counseling me through my own thoughts. Because watch this. Just like her illness started internally, so did her so did her healing. Just like whatever the illness is is happening internally, so does the healing. Well, watch. I can't identify it. I don't know what it is. He does. I can't quite put my finger on it. He can. That suffering, that's invisible suffering. He can bring what I believe is invisible healing. So number one, you just got to start talking about it. You got to talk about it. Hey, this is what I'm dealing with. Hey, I had this thought. I don't really know what this means. I feel this way. Some of you, you don't even talk to your spouse about it. You don't even talk to your parents about it. You don't even talk to your friends about it. You don't even talk to your church or your pastor about it. You're just trying to do it on your own. And it's becoming heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. And mark my words, there will be a time where you won't be able to carry it alone anymore. You got to talk about it. I was watching The Chosen and there was this episode where this happened and after Jesus healed her, he goes on to heal the daughter and he leaves some of the disciples with her. Doesn't necessarily say that in the Bible, but that picture was so great for me because watch this, God can heal you and then put you in a place where you're surrounded with godly people who can help you throughout that healing process. Make sense? Let's talk about it. And then number two, try to control these thoughts. What are you taking in? Read your word, pray, do whatever you can to control these thoughts. Now the third thing, I think it's the most important out of the three, but that's just personally to me. I feel like that it's the foundation that leads to the other two. So I'm going to tell you what it is, and then I've got to explain it. This is what it is, to start with the correct identity. In order for us to move into spiritual solutions for mental problems, you got to start with the correct identity. Say, so what does that mean? Well, let's go to Mark chapter 5. Now, when we were reading this, we read over it. We didn't think anything about it. But watch this. He said to her. Now, he calls her back. Remember, she touches his robe, garment. She's healed. She sneaks away. Jesus says, who touched me? She stops. She returns because now she thinks she's in trouble. The Bible said she was trembling with fear. She thinks she's in trouble for touching his robe like that. And watch what he says to her. He looks at her and he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from suffering. Now, here's the thing that if you don't know this, you just kind of skip right past that without really understanding the weight of this. There's only one time throughout the Bible where Jesus called somebody daughter. And it's in Mark chapter 5. So I'm processing this. Like what? Like, Jesus, why? You've had so many interactions, right? Martha and Mary Mary in the alabaster box, the woman at the well. You had all these different scenarios and moments where you could have called them daughter. All the women that had to be following you as a part of the crowd. There could have been so many times where you could have said, my son, my daughter, why now? Why now? And then I was reminded, because of her illness, what did I say? She developed this stigma, right? She developed a reputation, and because of her reputation, people forgot her name. And so her issue became her identity. And when she walked into a room, people would say, There goes the woman with the issue of blood. They would identify her by her issue. So every room that she came into, she had accepted in her heart, This is just who I am. This is just, watch this. Instead of I'm dealing with depression, I'm depressed. Instead of I'm trying to to, to overcome anxiety, I'm anxious. We have the right idea, but it's the wrong identity. And what Jesus made sure to do was to establish who she was. And it had nothing to do with what she was experiencing. And it made me think about before Jesus went into the wilderness. Remember, this whole series is based off the wilderness interaction with him and Satan, where Satan's going to be able to tempt Jesus. And before Jesus went into the wilderness, what did God do? Remember this? He baptized, or, or, or John the Baptist baptized Jesus, and the Holy Spirit came onto Jesus, and he said, you are my son, whom I love, and with whom I am well pleased. Because God said, before I can take you through You gotta know who you are. And so, if I can establish your identity, watch this, then you are no longer identified by your issue. He said, You are my daughter. You are my daughter. So, then this morning I'm praying. And anytime we start talking about daughter, I got two daughters. So, I immediately get into that realm of thinking and I get emotional. I start processing all the conversations I've had with, with my kids and all of the good times and the hard times and I start thinking about all of the time and my wife's better at this than me but all the times with our kids where we use moments to try to establish their identity where we try to remind them that they are not what they did that they are not what they've done and they will never be what they do. But they're our daughter. You know that we don't love them because of their performance. But we love them because of who they are. And I'm processing this. And I'm thinking about you. Because I don't really know where you are in this concept of mental illness. And thinking this through and I just felt the Lord. Because, <laughs> Okay. why call her back? She got her healing, right? Why call her back? Why not just let her go? And this is the argument I'm having. Why, Jesus, you probably embarrassed her. She done had to come back into this crowd and probably embarrassed the disciples you know what I mean like I don't know, you, somebody touched you how did you know that like why even call her back and so I'm walking through this this morning I'm like walking through my God why, why why not she's healed the Bible says she, she knows she's healed Jesus knows she's healed just let her go and be healed why call her back and in the sweetest way I felt the spirit of God tell me this because he wanted to heal her body and he also wanted to heal her mind he healed her body when she touched him says she felt something inside of her. Her body was healed. But it was still in her mind who she was. Right? So watch this. If her problem and her issue is who she is, then who is she going to be when she no longer has the issue? Now she's just lost, wandering around. And Jesus says, listen, I've healed your body, but come back here because I need to heal your mind. He's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. Everybody stand with me for a moment. I feel impressed to tell you this. Worship team, you guys go ahead and come up. Prayer team, I'm going to invite you guys down. I feel impressed to tell you this. The presence of God doesn't just want to heal your body. He wants to heal your mind. And sometimes our bodies get healed, and we just keep going on with a mind that's sick. And when your mind is sick, you can't imagine God doing anything good through you. You imagine that even though your body's healed, you'll mess up anything that God gives you to do in the future. Just when you think you're over, you'll remember the past. And just when you're about to make progress, you take one step forward and you take two steps back. When your mind is sick, you can't quite grasp the grace of Jesus Christ. So there's something in you that keeps pulling to try to go back to performance. And this is just me, but... I think the greatest healing that God ever did wasn't in the body. It's in the mind. Why else would Paul say be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. Is it possible that you've been going on proclaiming the freedom of Jesus Christ but never let him touch your mind? Is it possible that today he just wants to say to you, hey, son, go and be healed. Hey, daughter, go and be healed. And so I want to pray, if you'd allow me to. And the worship team will lead us in a little bit of a song. And I want to invite you if you're in here. I've got some prayer partners down that would just love to pray with you. Whether it's what we've talked about or something else, I just think there's something powerful when we pray together. This may be your very moment to talk about it. Maybe you've never talked about it before. But do me a favor. Don't walk out of this room today without allowing him to heal your mind. You don't have to come down for prayer. You can do it right in your seat. Just put your hands in there and say, Father, I need your healing power. Touch my mind. Touch my mind. The same thing you did for that woman, do for me. It can happen in this place right now. We can start taking those steps in the direction of mental healing. Father, I pray right now for every person in this room. As we've talked about today, just the rising statistics the fact that we don't quite know what it is or how to deal with it. But Father, I think you've been dealing with it since the beginning of time. And I think you are still the ultimate physician. And like the hope that I got when that doctor slid over to me and said, I don't know what's wrong with you, but we're going to find out and we're going to heal you. That's the same thing your spirit says right now. So Father, I just pray you'd slide over to somebody this morning and say, listen, I know we don't know what it is, But I am God. I am God. The same yesterday, today, and forever. And I've healed her, and I've healed them, and I'm going to heal you. So trust me. Walk with me. Believe in me, son. Believe in me, daughter. And we can go out today and be free and be healed. So, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do what only it can do right now. That you just begin to move on the hearts of your children. For those that just want to worship in their seat. For those that want to come down and be prayed for. For the person that's never accepted you as their Savior. That today would be that day. That they would put their hands in there and say, I can no longer do it without you. I need you, Jesus. I need you to heal my body. I need you to heal my mind. Father, that's what we've come here today for. To have an interaction and an encounter with you, your Holy Spirit, your healing power. Do what only you can do. We're going to begin to worship. And as we begin to worship, if you want prayer, we're just going to invite you to come down. Again, I encourage you to just begin to worship where you are. You can ask him right where you are. Father, heal my mind. Heal my mind. Father, do what only you can do in this place. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.